Laura Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, just interestingly, um, uh, for those of you who've never been on a class with Ellie Bass, she teaches at the Village Shul too. Great class on the Parsha. And actually, I just took a quick look at her um, notes last night. It was Basharat because it addresses the subject of anger in this week's Parsha. Uh, so we know that this is the Parsha Kitisa. And this is the Parsha where, um, where Moshe breaks the Luchot. And, you know, he comes down from the mountain and he sees the Jewish people dancing around the golden calf and he throws down the Luchot and, you know, there's all different interpretations of this, but one is that he was angry. He was angry at what he saw and he threw them down. And later on in Bamidbar, we have another example, the more famous example of Moshe getting angry, which is at the scene with the rock where the Jewish people are complaining, we need water, we need water, we need water. And God tells Moses to speak to the rock. And Moshe is visibly upset and finding it very difficult to handle the Jewish people. And in this moment of anger, instead of speaking to the rock, he hits the rock. And of course, we know that he's given a tremendous punishment for that, which seems to be much greater than the crime. And that punishment is that he's not going to go into the land of Israel with the Jewish people, which was his lifelong dream and aspiration and goal. So we see these two instances of anger. And the interesting thing is that one is considered a good type of anger, where he threw down the luchot, even though these luchot were created by God himself. And the second ones that he was going to create were going to be man-made. And um, so we see this good, what's considered a good anger. Um, And then we see an example of a difficult or a bad anger. So what we've been saying in our class too, is that anger is a is uh, is not supposed to be used as a tool, generally speaking, but there are occasions where you can display anger. And I just want to read to you a little bit about this, just to remind us again. So um, the Rambam says, when he talks about all the different Mido, he says in all the different Mido, we have to follow the middle path, but there's only two that we should eliminate completely. And those are pride and anger. He says about anger, anger is an extremely bad attribute, and one should distance oneself from it by going to the other extreme. One should train oneself not to get angry, even about something to which anger might be the appropriate response. The ancient sages said, one who yields to anger, we spoke about this, is as if he had worshipped idols, the idol basically being you and your own ego. They also said, whoever yields to anger, if he, is, if he is wise, his wisdom deserts him. And that brings to mind the fact that our blood rushes to our arms and our legs in that fight or flight mode. And basically, we're left dumb and stupid, right? His wisdom leaves him. And if he is a prophet, his prophecy leaves him. And the life of an irascible person is not a life. So we've been instructed to keep far from anger training ourselves to stay calm, even in the face of provocation. And this is the right way. Now, there is a caveat to this, which relates to what we just spoke about in terms of the fact that Moshe did break the Luchot, and he wasn't punished in the first episode of his anger. And this is because we need to have an important qualification when it comes to anger. Also from the Rambam. If one wants to instill reverence in his children and family, or in public, if he is the head of the community, and his desire is to show them his anger, so as to bring them back to the good, he should appear to be angry with them, so as to reprove them. But all the while, he must remain inwardly calm, as if he were just acting the part of an angry man. But in reality, he is not angry at all. Now, obviously, this is a very high level that we're not moved by our anger, that we only use it to display anger, right? Sometimes we have to do that with our children, but it goes back to a very deep idea where we say, hate the sin and not the sinner. 
And it's very difficult for us to, as much as we might say, you know, it's your behavior that I don't like, you know, if, if it's parenting or even if it's a relationship. And to separate the person's behavior from vilifying the person themselves. But this is the idea of anger being used in a constructive way. Okay, I did a little bit of a summary of all the different points, but I think I'm going to leave that for the end if we have time. And um, we're going to just continue. We're going to wrap up our class on anger. God willing, even though there's so much more that can be said, and I have so much more on it, but I want to get to Pesach, so that's hopefully where we're going to head from here, with a new Mida. We're going to look at the Mida of Alacrity, of Zrizus, of how it relates to Pesach. Okay, so back to um, anger. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the fact that anger and Aish, fire, are related. We said that every human being is composed of the four elements. And for someone who gets angry a lot, obviously their predominant element is fire. Now, we said that fire can be positive or negative like every other trait. But again, just from what we read with the Rambam, anger is a very dangerous trait to have. And it's a difficult one to control. Like fire, it can get out of control very easily and spread and destroy so we want to talk about what is it about that Aish personality that causes them so much trouble when it comes to being patient, because we were talking about patience being the antidote to anger, right? We don't want to overpay for the experience by getting angry frequently, intensely, you know, it, it, with a long duration, right? All of us are different in those three areas, frequency, intensity and duration but we'd rather not get angry at all because nobody likes it and everybody feels foolish afterwards so what is it about the age personality what is their challenge when it comes to being patient so we know the word for patient is sublanut but it's no coincidence that the same word sovlanut is the word for tolerance and what the rabbis bring down is that Aish people have a much harder time tolerating people around them, right? The Aish personality, again, is somebody who wants to grow like fire that goes up. The Aish person is always heading for the next level, which is a good thing. But one of the ways that they get this feeling of reaching the next level is by being judgmental, critical, being annoyed by people who aren't growing like they are. They, they have a hard time tolerating people whose main source of pleasure may be different than theirs, whose way of doing things may be different than theirs. They have a hard time understanding that, of tolerating that. Now, let's contrast this to the Mayan person. What's the difference between the Mayan personality? The Mayan personality is very much connected to pleasure. So we, if we say that the Aish person is connected to growth and moving upward and having this feeling of movement in terms of internal growth, the Mayan person is um, somebody who loves to connect to other people. Now, Mayim is a very important part of who we are. Everybody needs Mayim, okay? Because Mayim is, corresponds to pleasure and vitality. And that's very important in life. And we can compare it to a plant. A plant needs a certain amount of water to be able to flourish. Now, again, every single one of these elements has its danger, has its negative. So we know that if you water a plant too much, too much pleasure, you kill it, right? And if you water it too little, you do the same thing because everybody needs some enjoyment and pleasure and, you know, frivolous, if you want, times to enjoy. So some water is good. And Dina Schoonmaker just you know, makes the point that when it comes to children, you can see this. Children who get too much pleasure, in other words, they're 
uh, inundated with water, uh, parents give too much, don't know how to say no. She says it becomes the law of diminishing returns because what happens is if they're given too much pleasure, they don't have the ability to struggle in life, to deal with things that are difficult, to rise to challenges like the ace person naturally does. They can't do it. They don't have that fighter instinct. And therefore, a child or a human being who's been given too much water, too much pleasure, too easy, become too used to it. They'll give up easily if something is not pleasant. So if there's a situation that they don't connect to or they don't enjoy, they have none of that ish ability to fight the situation. So she gives an example of a woman who told her once about her daughter, obviously a young girl in a big family. And she says, you know, the only way I seem to be able to motivate her is to help me is always by giving her something. You know, then she complies, but without it, if I don't give her some kind of reward or some kind of promise, it doesn't happen. So, you know, obviously sometimes with a kid, you have to do this, but we can overdo it. And we can create this type of, you know, I only do things if there's something in it for me, if there's some kind of pleasure associated with it. And she says, you can see adults like this too, right? I'm only going to volunteer if I'm going to get the recognition, if I'm going to get, you know, something that gives me pleasure. I'm only going to tutor that kid if I like that kid, if I enjoy that kid, right? Or even a, 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 a young mother, you know, um, you know, I'm only going to take my kids out to the mall if I can have my iced coffee or I can, you know, thinking about what's in it for me. Now, again, we have to, you know, we have to give ourselves what we need. But here we're talking about always having that condition that I can never be in pain. I have to make things as pleasurable as I possibly can. Otherwise, I can't bear it. And we talked about the saval, right? The same root of the word sovlanut, sovlanut. The porter who can't bear carrying this thing on his back. And so he throws it off. And so this is like the same water type of person who can't bear anything that isn't pleasant, that isn't easy, that isn't, you know, the way I want it to be. Okay. Um, now, the ACE problem is a different problem. We said it's sovlanut. And when we have too much fire, we don't want to put it out because it, fire is a good thing, but we do want to control it. And the way that we control fire in the physical world is with water and earth. So how do we do this? So here's where we get down to the practical, okay? So when I'm feeling snappy and impatient with a certain person, I'm, I'm feeling the heaviness of carrying them, right? We said that the smart porter will put the load down for a minute, or maybe they'll sh he'll shift the load from one side to the other rather than throwing it off, just a sort of an image of using our tools of self-regulating, of recognizing that we're getting annoyed, that the, the, what, who, whoever we're carrying is getting heavy, right? Having that primary recognition before we allow ourselves to explode. Um, so... When I'm with somebody whose opinion is silly, their way of doing things I think is ridiculous, I don't like the way they behave, whatever it is that's bugging me as the ace personality, and I can't tolerate it anymore, right? I need to borrow from Mayim. Now, what is Mayim? So we said that Mayim is the koach of pleasure and vitality of life. And that word in Hebrew is the word mechaye, mechaye, right? Life-giving. And that's what water does. Water is life-giving. So we need to be, this is one tool, okay? When you're starting to feel this way, I can't tolerate this person. They're so silly. I don't like their opinions. I don't like their ideas. I can't believe that that's what they're into. You know, don't they understand life is all about growing and changing and, and, and everything else, that all the, all the uplifting and lofty things that I'm into, right? Um, it says, 
you should use the water part of your personality personality to be mechaye, the other person. So this is called the koach achius, the vitality of life. And you use it, and instead of burning the other person, you ask yourself, how can I make them feel good? Okay, so you're starting to feel that annoyance, and you're trying to turn it around, tap into your water part of you, because you have we all have it, and take that water, that vitality, that life-giving force, and give it to the other person. So this is the active exercise. Even though you're annoying me right now, I'm going to say something with the voice of Mayan and not the voice of Aish. Wow, that's a really nice sweater you're wearing, right? Um, instead of something that I might say that will come out sharply, what could I say that's going to give the person chius? Oh, thanks so much for coming by. I always love seeing you. Now, you may not mean it, but the more we practice it and, you know, replace the sharp, critical, sarcastic, irritated voice with something that's going to give the other person a lift. It's called training, right? Training ourselves to turn things around. We said at the very beginning of this class that the opposite of anger is chesed, which is interesting, right? Because anger destroys people, but chesed builds people. So the chesed and the water seem to go together in this way. We want to take control of that tremendous energy that we're starting to feel inside that's getting us annoyed. And if we really want to grow ourselves, if that's really why we're annoyed, because this person, you know, I got to, I got, I got to put this person down so I can grow higher. So the real way to do it is to use the water part to control your fire. And the way that you grow is to be Mechaye, the other person. Use the mime side. Can I get you a piece of cake? Can I get you a drink? Oh, I bought you something. Hold on a second. I want to get this for you, right? Balance your age by doing something for that person who's annoying you. Give them life, whether it's a family member or somebody outside your family. Okay, now the next thing is afar, dust. Dust also can control a fire. Dust balances out fire. So what is the um, strength, the koach of afar? So afar is passive, the earth, right? Afar is earth. And it's the heaviest of all the elements. In its negative form, it manifests as sadness, as laziness. But in its positive form, it's stability, consistency, calmness. This is the higher voice of dust. So what does a fire person do? Again, practically, how does a fire person use dust to be able to control the fire and really grow in the way that, that they want to, but they sabotage when they get angry, okay, and have an illusion of growth that's not really real, okay? So the fire person borrows from dust by being passive, by not being moved. And I think this is what Lori's story demonstrated. Deciding I'm not going to be moved by this. I don't want to be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I don't want to get myself, you know, in a pretzel. I don't like it. I'm not going to let the other person control me, right? What do we say about, right? You can't control other people. The only one you can control is yourself. So Afar is coming along to say, be like the earth. Be like the dirt. Be passive. You know, angry people probably, you know, their reflex is to respond more quickly than other people, especially if you get angry frequently, right? It's an impulsivity. It's an inability to bear any kind of pain. But this idea is that by using Afar, we try to create a place where we're not moved. 
And while we do that, we have to recognize that for me to become more spiritually evolved, for me to grow, which is what the anger person wants to do, it means that I have to be able to coexist with this person who generally annoys me. Generally, I don't understand them. I don't get them. I don't understand why they're not like me, right? But that is the growth for a person who's easily, who finds certain people hard to tolerate, to not be moved, either to actively be mechaye them, right? To say something nice. That's one way to grow, to use the water or to decide that you're not going to be moved. Now, how do we do that? not to be moved and, and not to criticize. So we borrow from the Mayim, as I said, to be Mahaya others, or we borrow from the earth. And we're not moved just because the person said or something that like, you know, how could they be so stupid or did something differently than me? So there's an example of this in the Gemara, okay, where... Um, Rabbi Akiva is having a discussion with the Roman emperor of the time or some important Roman named Turnus Rufus. And basically they're having a theological discussion. And Turnus Rufus says to Rabbi Akiva, you know what, if your God is so great, then why are there so many poor people in the world? Okay. And Rabbi Akiva, you know, can't he take care of them? And so Rabbi Akiva answers, he says, of course he could take care of them, but God wants there to be poor people in the world. He wants there to be poor people in the world so that rich people, people who have, will be able to give what really belongs to them anyway, right? If God gives you the money and God tells you, you've, it's not really yours, I'm just giving it to you as uh, a loan, well, Part of your responsibility is to feed the poor. So yes, I created poor people and that's the way it's going to be. And some people say it will always be that way because people need to give to each other. Okay, so how does this apply to what we're talking about? So when we talk about poverty now, let's switch it to the idea of people who are poor, meaning that they have some weakness that you, the critical, fiery person, sees very sharply and gets annoyed by and likes to point out, which gives you a sense of growth and superiority. I'm okay, you're not okay, right? <laughs> um, but we have to understand, just like the poor people that Hashem wants them in the world so that people can become better, Okay, those people that are in our path who demonstrate some kind of poverty, weakness in our eyes, are in our path in order to be able to grow. The person is there to challenge me to grow even more. And come on, a lot of people have some very difficult people in their life. You know, circle one, family members are the most difficult. Circle two people we've said in other classes, those are the people you choose, right? If they're giving you a really hard time, you can get rid of them, hopefully, right? But the intensity, frequency, and duration of our anger is different depending on who it is, which circle, you know, we're dealing with. Even though all three circles let us know where we're holding in terms of our mita of anger, Right. If you're not nice, uh, you know, when you're in a store in Israel and you start haggling with the person and they're insulted because you're telling them, you know, how could you charge that much? It's highway robbery. Or you start fighting with a cab driver in Israel because you've got to, you know, you can't be ripped off. So that's also an expression of. um Realizing that person is there to challenge you to not be moved, perhaps, or to be machaye the other person and not to have to win the fight, okay? So those people who are put in your path, your fireside wants to answer sharply, 
But your fireside also wants you to grow by being patient with the person. So there's something called spiritual flexibility. We have the idea in psychology of cognitive flexibility, a person who's able to reframe, who's able to look at a situation differently, right? Some people mourn that roses have thorns and others rejoice that thorns have roses. So this is the reframe that's always there and available to us. So we're going to call this spiritual flexibility, okay? So what does this mean? So this is the religious way of seeing things. Hashem contains the world and he sustains everyone, even though they're opposite of what he wants. You know, he's got some real nudniks in his world, right? I don't know if he likes everybody equally or not. But the point is, is if we're supposed to be like God, this is such an interesting idea. Right? He's called Melech Ne'elav, we say. He's the insulted king. He's constantly could be annoyed and say, I can't tolerate this person, Zach. Right? Just get him out of the world. That's it. I had enough of him. But he doesn't do that, right? We know that God, one of the midot of Hashem, is that he is incredibly patient. He waits and he waits and he waits. And he tolerates and tolerates and tolerates. Now, I've given that image before of the insulted king that while he's pushing a button, you know, keeping us alive and waking us up and making us move like little dolls, we're, you know, hitting him and kicking him and, and giving him an elbow here and there, you know, like, get lost, you know, leave me alone. You're annoying me, whatever it is. So, you know, that's the image. But he tolerates us and he sustains us even when we annoy him. He's always being so well. He's always carrying us, even though we can literally be against him. Okay? So as an age person, I need to tolerate and carry others who are different than me. I have to be able to allow them not to move me by not responding, by restraining my criticism. What will really make me grow is my ability to be able to coexist with this other person, either by, even when I'm annoyed, but I grow myself by not responding. You know, I mentioned um, just briefly, I didn't, we're not really going to get to this idea, but, you know, when other people are angry at you, what happens is we tend to mirror other people's um, behaviors, right? If you're going to be angry at me, I'm going to be angry back at you. But that's not a good response. That's when we need to really be able to, again, say to ourselves, I'm not going to lower myself. I have certain standards. I've created a red line for myself. The same way, even if I was hungry, I wouldn't eat chazir. Or even if I wanted to wear a bikini on the Tel Aviv beach, I wouldn't because I'm a Beis Yaakov graduate, right? There's just certain things we're not going to do. We talked about that, you know, the halacha. We're not going to open the mail on Shabbos, but during the week, it might be hard, right? We're not going to eat the ice cream if we just had a steak. But we have to create those red lines for ourselves. And so, you know, if somebody's angry, Sarah Hannah Radcliffe says it's better not to respond because otherwise you create this cycle of anger. You become part of the cycle. Now you can do this with children more easily. Um, but, uh, but even with an adult, you can say, I'm really feeling upset and I can't, um, I can't talk about it now. I, I need some time or whatever. Try to Find a way of not being moved out of your equilibrium. Employ some afar there, okay? <clears throat> okay. So last week we talked about this preemptive decision. You know you're going into a difficult situation. You know this person always triggers you. You know exactly what's coming your way, right? So you need to use this preemptive ability to allow yourself to either not be moved or to use your words to be the other person. 
because we said, as Rabbi Orlowick says, surprise is the enemy of emotion. When we're surprised, when we don't create a, you know, we always know this person is critical when we're with them. We always know this person is a complainer and goes on and on and on about their terrible life, even though they've got it so much better than so many people, right? So we want to expect a situation. If we can do it in the physical world, we can expect a situation that's going to happen. It also works in the spiritual world. Walk yourself through the fact in your imagination, through the process of what's going to happen with this person. When you imagine it beforehand, you'll be less surprised. So Dina gives an example of some woman who really annoys her because every time she speaks to her, she says this person always calls her and tells her about how hectic her life is all the time. And she can't relate to her because this woman doesn't work. She lives a life of leisure. She's got all the luxuries. And she said, and I used to get very moved by her. It would be like, I'd be on the phone with her, just be holding myself back from, you know, and, and get all knee and rolling my eyes, even if she didn't see me, thinking like, what is she talking about? And she said, but then I just said to myself, and I guess this is somebody she has to talk to or pick up the phone for that I'm just going to prepare myself. I'm going to walk myself through it. I'm going to say to myself, okay, you're going, they're going to fetch and I'm going to start feeling offensive. You know, I'm sorry, I'm going to find it offensive. And instead of staying in that place, I'm going to try to be Machaya them. Oh, that must be so hard for you. Oh, really? You missed your nap. Poor thing. You know, or or I'm going to use my afar and I'm just not going to respond. I'm just going to listen and I'm going to decide that I'm going to use my afar part of my personality to grow myself. Because by tolerating these people the same way Hashem tolerates and not just tolerates, continues to give, continues to sustain, continues to shower blessings upon I'm going to imitate God and not zap the person or say, that's it. You're done, right? I'm going to be Adameh, right? The word Adam, man, has two connotations. Adama, we come from the earth, right? We're heavy. We want to give in to our anger. We want to just do what's easy. We want to get sad and depressed. Or be lazy about our own self-growth. Or we can be Adameh. I am similar to, meaning I am created in God's image. I can be like God. I can tolerate this and use it to grow. Okay. So Rabbi Svimeyer Silberberg says about intolerance, that it is never coming from a good place. Never. Even when it's a spiritual thing that you are not tolerating, you know, I can't tolerate people who don't keep Shabbos. I'm going to throw stones at their cars in Israel. Okay, I'm giving an extreme example. Obviously, those are the few who do those kind of things and they're, you know, dysfunctional, even in the best of times. Um, but even if they say it's coming from a good place, you know, it hurts me so much to see people desecrating Shabbos. I have to throw a stone to remind myself this is wrong. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, reasons that you can hear, even spiritual, to convince you that that's a good thing to do. Because otherwise, I might become desensitized to the fact, you know, that the guy across the street who's Jewish from me pulls out his car every Shabbos. If I don't go over and throw some stones at his car, you know, then before you know it, I'll stop keeping Shabbos, right? Because I'll become so desensitized, okay? There are people who have shitas like that, but we're going to talk about normal people. Okay, so Rav Silverberg says this is never coming from a good place. It comes from gaiva, arrogance, which is, as we said, the partner of anger, right? How dare you do that to me? I can't tolerate this. The me, the ego, the self is the idol that's in the center of everything right? It's all about me.
So the guy that is, I am aware that I'm better at this than they are. So I'm putting myself on a pedestal and putting them down. And this is the arrogance that comes from this, you know, supposedly spiritual criticism of other people. Um, so we're supposed to replace Gaiva with Anava, with humility. Obviously, humility. Moshe was the most humble person who ever lived. An Anivas, humility. I, I didn't tell you guys this um, story, but we spoke about the beginning of the Musser movement, and we speak about the altar of Kelm, who was the uh, Rosh Hashiva of Navardic, a yeshiva in Europe that was dedicated to personal growth, spiritual growth. And one day a new fellow comes into the yeshiva and he sits down and they've been working on humility now for months and months and months. And he hears everybody around him, you know, uh, chanting things about humility. So he decides he's going to join in and he starts saying, you know, I'm a gornished, I'm a nothing, I'm a worm, I'm a nobody, I'm even smaller than an ant. And these guys, you know, they look around, they see like this new guy here, he's only been there for like a day. And they say, look at this guy, look who thinks he's a nobody, you know? He's only been here one day and already he thinks he's a nobody. Okay, anyway, ha, ha, ha. The point is, is that working on our anava is not easy. It's very difficult because we are naturally arrogant. And we said in, in a class before that it's actually good for the perfectionists in the, in the group to like fail and enjoy it and allow yourself to. And even if the cake didn't come out perfectly or something isn't perfect, it actually is good in terms of building anivas, humility, as opposed to always having to be and look like you're the best. We're going to talk about that in our next slide. Okay, but listen to this analogy. It's so cool. So you have to replace gaiva with anava. So what is the parable for this? When you catch other people, when you see their weakness, when you see their fault, when you catch people with your H I, you know, I caught you doing something negative. What you should be thinking is, you know what? We all have faults and none of us want our faults exposed. We don't want anybody to catch us doing something wrong, right? The parenting thing is catch your kid doing something right. But nobody likes when their faults or their weaknesses are exposed. So he gives the example of a well-dressed woman who's walking confidently down the street. She looks like a million bucks, but you notice that her slip is showing. Do you get angry at her? No. You know what the natural human uh, reaction is? You actually look away. You look modestly away. And it brings out a response that actually is not arrogance. And then you know what you do next? You check your own slip <laughs> to make sure it's not showing, right? How often do we do that, right? When we see somebody trip, all of a sudden we look to make sure there's nothing there. Or we trip and we hope that nobody saw us trip. We hope that nobody saw us in this vulnerable way. So we check our own slip and we're all actually embarrassed for them. Or if somebody's button is undone in, an, in, a, in a place that it shouldn't be, we'll check our own button instinctively. Isn't this an incredible mashallah? So deep and so human. Devorah? Yes. Devorah. I, I kind of think that very privately and very quietly, if you told the person, that, you know, I'm just letting you know your slip is showing, I, but very quietly so no one else could really, you know, yeah. see. Wouldn't that be good? So it they would wouldn't be, be watching. That's not the point of this, Michelle. You're right. It is a chesed to tell somebody, you know, you've got right. something on your face. Sure, of course. But that's not the Michelle. The Michelle is explaining why it is that we don't say you're stupid because your slip is no. showing. No, no, but what we're so that's what we're trying to say. We're trying to say the slip is a is a a sim, symbol of people's imperfections. So if you can just okay. keep it on that more abstract level, okay, fine, okay, fine. okay. Yeah. 
So the point is, is when you see a person's fault exposed, you should react in the same way. Look away if that's the appropriate thing. Feel sorry that I saw that. Or check your own buttons. Check your own slip. Right? That's a much different energy than being critical or pointing out faults. So this is, again, the idea that we spoke about, about being mugbeal, your rut zone, putting a limit, not allowing yourself to spread out, which is one of the metaphors for anger. Okay? Right? We have halacha in Jewish law. Jewish law says, uh-uh, you can't do that. You can't have that chocolate bar. Right? Our kids learn this from very young. It brings down the curtain on certain things. So we have to do this to ourselves and not let our rut zone spread out, right? We said that that is the negative part of water when water just spreads. It doesn't contain itself. When we're frustrated, impatient, annoyed by an annoying person, we don't want to overpay. So what can we do? Okay, just back to you know, banging in these last points. So here's another idea. You can think, number one, this annoyance is good for me. It's good for me. It's telling me I need to grow. I can use it to grow myself, which is what I want, which is what my age part of me wants to do. It's good for me, okay? And instead of seeing something as negative where you tense up and you feel the pain of it all, right? The labor coach will tell you, relax, breathe into it. You're getting closer to the birth. That's all. That's why it's so intense. You're in a moment of the opportunity of growth. Don't give in to the pain. Don't tense up. Don't get all excited about it. Just breathe through it. Realize that the other end of it is victory, is Flexing a spiritual muscle is growing your personality and your meetup and being more like Hashem, okay? In our minds, what happens when we're all tensed up? We're saying in our minds, this is not supposed to happen. You're not allowed to talk to me like that. This is not the way I wanted it to be. I don't like what you're saying, okay? But instead, the spiritual exercise is to say this is exactly the way it was supposed to be. This was planned and pre-existed me, and this pain was meant for me. And we talked about that in last week's class, that everybody gets some pain in life. So either we can recognize the pain is coming, let me use it to grow. Let me be the master over it. Let me welcome it, because it's inevitable. So let me not fight against it. Let me use it. Okay, just an idea I brought up before. It's not an easy idea. But basically, there's an idea that Hashem told the soul, before we come into this world, everything they would go through at the beginning of creation, everything, right? Whether you're going to be rich or or poor, whether you're going to be um, beautiful or ugly, strong or weak, complete or handicapped, the chidah, A Kabbalistic idea says the neshama is aware and approves and chooses its nisayono, its challenges in life, its struggles. The source is that at the moment of conception, a malach comes and it takes the nefesh to this treasure house and it asks, what do you want? So why would anyone choose the negative? Why would anybody choose anything negative, poverty over wealth in an extreme? And the only reason would be is because we're not a body. We are a soul. We have perfect clarity about what we need to accomplish when we come down into this world, about what our mission is, about what needs fixing and repair. So we choose with perfect clarity. So what do we say? What does the neshama say? The world I'm going to is temporary. I can't have it perfect in that world and the next world. 
So some neshamo choose to have it perfect in this world or more perfect. And some choose for later. They say, give me all the suffering you can get, I can get because I want all the good stuff later because they have perfect clarity that that's the place of true reward and true pleasure that we can't even imagine. Not even one, the reward for one mitzvah we do. Can we imagine in this world currency of the incredible pleasure that the soul experiences? Okay, this is the Jewish teaching. Okay, and some choose the middle of the road. You know what? I don't want too hard a life. I'll take a little bit of pain and I'll give up a little bit of olam haba. You know, I'm not going for the gold. I'll go for the bronze. It's fine. It's good enough. You know, it's, I don't need Harvard. Send me to Binghamton University. You know, it's fine. Right. And that's what we decide. My neshama chose this and my neshama approved of it. My body is not comfortable with this. But the more I believe that I chose it, it can help me be mugbeel. It can help me create that border. When I have that frustration that comes with the annoyance of other people in my life. <clears throat> okay, one last idea. So this is called subjective processing. I'm really frustrated right now, but I can maybe think about how somebody else processes this you know like I always used to wonder my sister and I grew up in the same house with the same brothers you know and I was always yelling and screaming and she was always calm and quiet you know and it's like do we live like do we have did we live in the same house like why is it that you know you never get ruffled you know um but that's the idea is that we can ask ourselves we can be a little bit more objective maybe I'm processing things about this person in a very subjective way, <clears throat> how would another person look at it? So for example, let's say there's a mother with a newborn who's having a lot of trouble nursing. And she's getting so frustrated. But if she starts to think, <clears throat> how would a woman who suffered infertility for six years, how would she respond to be having to get up at night? Okay? So you can validate the initial frustration and then ask yourself, do I have to be miserable about this? Or think about how someone else might process it. I'm feeling sick and tired and thirsty and nauseous because I'm eight months pregnant. But my friend feels the same way and that's because she's going through chemotherapy. So it's a reframe because my subjective processing is negative but someone else might love to be in my situation so the altar of kelm says we should get used to the meta of patience and we're just going to wrap up i know i know we're getting used to the meta of patience because it's the basis of all roots of tranquility and the root of everything that is good it says um this is the gate to Hashem, the righteous people will enter. And this is referring to the idea that Hashem, I will thank you because you afflicted me. This affliction should be my salvation in this world and in the next. The sablanut, the patience that I practice, which is again, the mita of great people, will bring out in me perfection in this world and in the next. What's the key to get to Hashem? Hashem contains everything and is not limited. This is the last point, which is incredible. Okay, how can we be more like Hashem? Hashem is unlimited. The more physical we are, the more limited we make ourselves. In the extreme, people who are very materialistic, right? I can't sleep without three pillows, you know? I need the heat to be perfect. I need a good steak if I'm going to have a good day. I've got to have my iced coffee, right? The more you are connected to your physical self, the more limits you create. Just practically, I can't survive without A, B, or C, right? There's even a story in the Gemara during the time of the destruction of the temple about some very wealthy woman who was walking through the streets of Jerusalem barefoot, and she died of just, you know, the poverty of being able to not have 
what she was accustomed to. So I always say, be careful what you want because your wants become needs very quickly. And they're no longer wants, they're necessities. So the idea is that the more limiting we limit ourselves, God is not limited by anything in the material world, right? If it's too noisy, if I'm thirsty, if I'm hot, I can't manage. And these kind of reactions are constant reminders that we are physical. We live in the physical world. We feel limited by them. Um, and the same is true about other people. When I get annoyed, what I'm doing is I'm limiting me. I'm limiting myself. Don't expect me to be happy. I have to deal with my mother-in-law today. Okay? I know. I know. I'm coming. I'm going. Okay. Um, I'm almost done. Relax. Relax. Okay. Um, so this is an incredible idea. Nothing affects Hashem's ability to be. The more I overcome my limitation, the closer I am to him. When I have to be more patient, if I can rise above the difficulty and still function well, that's the gate to Hashem. Great people, big tzaddikim, don't get bothered by small zachim. They don't let it move them. They don't even notice it. That's what great people are like. They don't get bothered, whether it's other people's spiritual deficiencies or their personality deficiencies or their physical deficiencies. It doesn't move them. They have the same kind of patience that they've worked on that emulate Hashem's patience. He's not limited by the physical world. The more you become like Hashem, the less limited you are by the physical material things that you've decided you can't live without or by the people in your life that provoke you that you've decided you can't bear. So when we push through those limitations, right? I am like Hashem, the same way nothing in the physical world limits Hashem. Hashem contains the entire world with all kinds of people in it. Okay. We're going to end there. And we're going to end our bud there. And basically, the homework, you know, now that we've ended this VUD, is really just to try and, as I said, a VUD, we could talk about anger for the next five years. And we could try to work to take one practice and put it into our life. So my, my advice for all of us, including myself, is to take one teaching, one thing that you've learned, one thing that you know now that you didn't know before, something that resonates with you, and try to apply it in your day, in your life, in your week, and note the victory. Note the fact that something that used to really bother you and drive you up the wall doesn't anymore. Hey, what happened? Did the person change or did I change? Because when we change, all of a sudden, everything shifts around us. And the same things that bothered us don't anymore. And that's growth. That's how you know you've grown. Okay, thank you so much for going on this journey with me. And stay tuned. Next week, God willing, we're going to go to pay, towards Pesach with a new Mida. And I hope you'll join me. And thank you for your kind words and support. And have a Great wonderful class. week. And good Shabbos.